0: Good morning, good evening, everyone. And welcome to this latest edition of the Indic Book Club's uh, author, uh, uh, open house, writers open house with Otis hashmire And uh, those of you who have been joining for the last few weeks, you know what the routine is. So you go to the IndicAcademy.org website and there is a link to submit your writing sample to Otis. It includes the do's and don'ts. So you know, the general General recommended length is about eight hundred words. You send a, uh, your writing sample to him in a PDF format. Otis will, if you send it well in advance and give him enough time, he will review it and mark up his comments and feedback and send the PDF back to you. And then in this open house that we have, he will take those samples one by one and share more details, feedback, and also share you know some guidance and advice on good writing. In Today's session, uh, we'll obviously go through that, and uh, uh, I have asked Otis if he could share some thoughts on writing reviews, good or bad. So while we may n- or may not be able to get through this today, uh, I will, and uh, he has shared some some tips on, on you know, what can, uh, how to go about it, uh, and we, or I will send him some reviews uh, that I think did a good job of, uh, uh, of of describing why the book was good or not good and uh, maybe in next uh, week's session otis can walk us through some of the uh, particular details there so with that I will turn this over to you otis and uh, uh, all yours
1: okay thank you um, all right sorry let me I was doing a little scheduling here too for the anthology so I'm not gonna be able to do that right now and I'm also
0: oh. setting up uh, this broadcast on Facebook, so I'm going to go on mute now.
1: Okay, great, thank you. Um, okay, so I um, uh, one one thing I, I did I wanted to address actually in um, oh I don't see everybody. Is this is this everyone?
0: I'm still uh, promoting some people to panelists, so okay. give me a second. I think everyone should have become a panelist now. Okay. Great. Um,
1: I was just going to say that uh, I did know. I noticed this time. So, in uh, for American journals, which I've sent a lot of work to American journals, and I've been you know rejected from a lot of them, and I've been accepted luckily by a few of them. Um have a they have a certain standard for they, they always tell you to format your work in a certain way and I have some, um, okay thanks um, so they always say to format your work in a certain way and I always found that kind of an annoyance <laughs> but I, but I realized uh, working working with you and 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 um, and just from the sheer volume of of reading that i do that uh having some consistent formatting is pretty helpful um so i don't i don't think i need to i, I don't think i want to go on too much about it but but the standard the standard at least as it used to be pal, people like the font palantino so it has to do with with font font size and spacing and these are helpful um sometimes if i mean i really found it when i get when i get things that are really block text um, that it becomes kind of difficult for me to sift through it because it's so much information coming at me with a sort of monochromatic look and and i think that's interesting for us to think about as writers that in fact the way our page looks and the way we format our page and the spacings that we use and the conventions that we use actually do matter for the reader. They they give the reader a lot of cues. And so what it means is that I'm used to reading in a certain way, and then I basically expect that too. And when I don't get when I don't get that, it's not that I don't want to read the work, but I, um, in a way, the patterns of my my neurological patterns are being confronted in a way that that I find difficult. So the we 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 should put this up also, you know, uh, Indic uh, Academy and in the, the workshop. You know, we'll we'll put up these standards. I think, but it used to be uh, Times New Roman was the was the standard font. Twelve was the standard pitch. Double space is good for me because obviously I'm marking up your works. So having a little space to mark up your works is really good. But the but the other thing that I would like to add, which I think will Uh, elevate everyone's work. It's funny that these little things can elevate your work tremendously. So we have a a tome, (laughs) a style tome that we use in the US called the Elements of Style. It was written by authors named Strunk and White um, back in the 50s. Uh, E.B. White, it was E.B. White who's famed for Charlotte's Web, a number of other stories. and they were, they, they basically present in a very short form, you know, some ele, elements of style, basically, uh, that, that, can, that can really be helpful. And I, I read it years ago, and I did not realize how great a volume it was. Um, so I'm getting to something. Okay, so we have format. <laughs> um, we have the uh, font, the pitch, um, the spacing but one of the things that in elements of style that they say is they say make the paragraph the unit of composition okay that is something that we should write down make the paragraph the unit of composition i have found that that one little phrase i did not think so at first at first i learned about comma splices at first i learned about a couple other little grammar things but as i became really a professional writer and being a professional writer means that you're a professional thinker that's what it means you're a professional thinker um the paragraph as the unit of composition has been the most valuable tool that i take away from them and probably the most valuable tool i know in writing what it means is so just as the sentence is about one thing which let's keep that in mind the sentence is about one thing the paragraph is also about one thing so that that information should direct us um, with that in mind I'm 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 gonna say something now that I would like you to try and do in your in your prose work um, regardless of whether you finally want it to be that way okay so this is a drafting this is the draft drafting advice You know how i talk about protagonists and antagonists quite a lot deal with the protagonist in a paragraph the antagonist in a paragraph okay so switch paragraph your view so that basically means that on the page what what you will be doing is we read in a linear fashion but you will also basically be juxtaposing in these chunks these two things protagonist antagonist then you might go protagonist antagonist that's one thing so basically i'm saying use our capacity our technology of hitting that little return button to create a space and distinction between these two forces I, I, honestly, that's worth the price of admission. Everybody, just doing that one little thing, starting to organize. Basically, like I say, we are professional thinkers, and we're using the technology of writing. This is this is absolutely, I think, the case. We use the technology of writing to help us think, and even to help us discover things we do not know. And our method is to use this story format which uses these two forces in clashing together to arrive at pressure that creates some kind of catharsis some kind of thing and we use the story frame to discover things and we can use the technology of our writing also as a as a tool for us to help us discover this is huge I, I think I mean this is this is really As as geeky as it sounds, I know I know everyone wants to be like. Well, I want to imagine you know, dancing lollipops and unicorns and you know I know everyone wants that. This is the this is the grim truth of writing that we use the writing technology to discover things, and we use the story form for us and I believe actually all written things use the story form the story form to help us discover things. Okay, so. Use the paragraph. So now this would be a test. If I had a a piece of dialogue between one character, between one character and another character, would I put it into a block or would I paragraph it? I know, I'm sorry to be sound condescending. I'm obviously gonna say we paragraph that. Paragraph each um, new dialogue. Later on, if you feel like I don't like that, and I want to combine these things and, <laughs> and choke, choke down the intellectual engagement of my reader, OK? If you think that, put it back together. But I am going to suggest to you that you don't do that. White space on the page is incredibly valuable to us. Um, uh, Rahm gave us poetry, but poetry has known this for a long time. Poetry uses the white space is not nothing. The white space is organizational space for us. Um, Miles Davis, what can we say about Miles Davis? He said that music is about uh, the silence between notes. What In music, what we call intervals, right? the intervals the intervals are everything right the pace i mean it's everything without those intervals it's cacophony okay so we know the font the spacing etc etc we've gone to the paragraph i want you you know we can emblazon that on our on our on our forehead to remind us use the paragraph as a unit of composition, and now I will add one more thing. So, because we deal with narrative, we um, narrative is a sequence of events. Okay, so emblazon that on your mind. <laughs> if you're writing narrative, you're writing a sequence of events. If you're writing a thesis-driven work, You might not be be writing a physical sequence of events, but you are writing a metaphysical sequence of reading events. So, narrative is sequence of physical events. Thesis statement, I am going to argue, is still a narrative because it's still a sequence of events, but it's a sequence of metaphysical events. If you're writing a thesis driven work the same thing comes true paragraph for your protagonistic force the the person who the person the author who is making their point and then a paragraph for the antagonistic force and this is a great thing for us to understand if we don't have a paragraph with that antagonistic force we're only putting one force on the page and if we're only putting one force on the page We do not have any dynamic action in our work. It's honestly the easiest thing in the world to, to work out actually. And, and it, it it is very frustrating for us as writers because every writer just wants to put one side on the page. They only want to tell one side of the story. I know that I've done it for years. I've wanted to tell one side of the story. Guess whose it was? But I can't do that because it's bad. Okay, that's the straight truth. It's bad. It's bad because it has no dynamic action. It has no energy. It is flat. It's monotone. It's like that in the hospital, you know, when it's going beep, beep. Okay, so that's interesting because it goes down and up. Two things, down, up. Beep, beep. That's interesting. One-sided story goes, I am not kidding. It's not a joke. I don't, I, I, I it's a very sad and difficult thing to deal with. I, I actually feel sympathy for all writers and all human beings across the entire earth because I understand deeply our desire to tell one side of the story. It doesn't work. It's it, th- This is our true taskmaster. That is our true taskmaster that makes us become better people, is realizing this one thing. Long speech to get back to those paragraphs. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Use those paragraphs as... It's like, think of them as, my my daughters want me to make them stilts, you know, sticks with a little foot thing so they can go like that. Okay, think of these two paragraphs. It's like if you only have one, you only have one stilt, okay? You're not going to get anywhere. Two stilts. Okay, next thing, paragraph. Next thing is space, okay? Space. So you might have a section. We are going to be writing our pieces in sections. We're going to have acts basically. We're going to have an act one. We're going to have that act two, three, and four perhaps. Uh, we might have act one, two, and three. We're going to have larger sections of our work that create that create this this pattern. The beginning. The middle and the end we want to create a space so that the reader can recognize this transition this is my rule for space since we're writing a narrative it would be somewhat different with the thesis driven right thesis driven if you're dealing with one metaphysical idea that's you know developed then you might have a space to the next one but in a narrative if you change time or space, make a space. So, which means if you have that space, you need to start over again in terms of establishing point of view and the setting. Because you, you basically, it's like the movies. The movie has what's called a jump cut, right? They don't. They don't fast forward usually between this point and this point. They just cut it and it just go and you're into the next scene. But you, you know, you're in the next scene because you see a different scene. You, you were in the warehouse and now you're in the uh, French restaurant, whatever it is, right? You go from here and then to there. We have to do the same thing, but the problem is we don't have all of those visual cues, right? We don't have film. So we have words, that paint a picture to hear. And now if we've changed in time or space to a new scene, we make a space to let the reader know that it's changing. And then we have the responsibility of drawing that new scene, that new setting, and definitely establish the point of view. Because when you change in the movies, you might be focusing on a different character, right? That's how it works in movies. They, they have a different way of dealing with point of view than we do. Um, but we want to, so the reader's like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, once we've changed, once we've changed the situation, until you develop a pattern, they don't know. So you need to always set the scene so that they can see and imagine, and then also establish the point of view so that they feel secure about, did they, are they in the same point of view that they were in here? or are they in a new point of view because you have multiple points
0: of view? So Otis, a question. When <clears throat> you are jumping between scenes, you said you know a, a space and then establish the point of view. Uh, so take a case where you are alternating between uh, those two scenes for several pages for whatever reason i'm assuming that uh, the need to establish a point of view is only going to be the first time and then when you keep switching back between the scenes the reader will know that these are the two scenes happening you don't have to reestablish the pov
1: uh you you ask a deep question <laughs> so <laughs> writing is about memory so because what happens obviously when we read the reader is reading here 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 so You have a scene that's established here. They read a new scene that's established here. We'll just call it A, and then we'll call this one B. Okay, we come back to A. After B, do they still remember what it looks like? Maybe, maybe not, right? Mm. This is the same, you know, so we need to think about that. So I would probably say I don't need to establish the scene maybe as much, but I don't know. We this is part of our, part of our issue where, where this is, this is even more illustrated in uh, characters. So char- like, like you're saying, we, we're, we're trying to make a movie. Basically we're trying to invite the reader into a world that takes place in time. So that's basically like a movie, <laughs> right? We trying to invite right. them into a movie that takes place in their brain. If we do not give them the language, to allow that movie to take place concrete language imagistic language you know basically the language of physicality physical language then no movie takes place and we're only dealing in a metaphysical realm in which the reader is just trying to absorb abstract information very very poor not not effective this is why stories are actually so much more dominant and effective as for conveying information than abstract work. They just are. And if you do use abstract work, you base it on evidence, which is physical. Physical is always better than abstract. Right. So, right. so where, where your question really comes into play is like a character. You might have a character established here. And this is something that I've, I've, I've mentioned actually in some of the works here. People have the names of their characters. And they say what the relationships are. I can't see those. I can't imagine someone from their name at all. Um, so it, it's not effective for making the movie take place. So, like, if you remember your, like, your French films, <laughs> you know, your noir French films, and it's black and white, and one person's wearing a red beret. Okay, that is a technique that's used to help you remember who you're dealing with. Um, This is also why in the movies, characters are so distinguished. Uh, One guy is the, oh, he's good with the gun. The other guy is a knife fighter. The other guy is good with his fists, right? And the other guy is, uh, you know, as they joke, the wild card. You know, who knows what he's going to do? He's crazy, right? So you have all of them distinguished. And then when they, when they might disappear, but when they come back, we still know who they are because they're still doing their thing. They're still dressed the way they basically dress, right? They're still behaving the way they behave. And we're getting the cues, which help us imagine them again. You right. know, it reinforces that imagination. So it's actually, this is, again, a really big thing for us to understand in our writing. I've had this so many times, you know, I've taken immeasurable <laughs> workshops. Uh, okay, I've been to a lot of workshops, and you, you'll you be in there in a workshop, you know, and someone, you know, someone will be like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how old this character is, you know, and and, and the writer will go like, I said that they were seven. It's like, But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you say that they were seven. That doesn't mean anything to the reader. They have to behave as if they're seven. It's the the behavior and the actions that allow the reader to imagine them, not the words. I mean, I was younger then, but, you know, I'd want to leap over the table, you know, and. Yeah, these, these people who are thinking that, you know, like, it's my responsibility as the writer to somehow take notes as I'm going along and write down that they're seven and this one's eight and, and I'm supposed to derive something from my life in order to fill up their story. Um, in this, though, I, I like this conversation very much we will find that the, the next important thing to remember is that these things we want to remind the reader. So when we, when we return to this character, okay, so like the character here who's characterized with a limp. Well, then in here in Act 3, they're going to be limping again. Or if they're not, the person is going to say, hey, you're feeling better, right? This helps the reader remember. Um, right. But, we'll, but the main thing is the story is about the protagonist arc. The character arc is the story. That is the story arc. And our protagonist, what our protagonist will do is they start one way, right? They start here, and we have to see that they are transitioning this way.
0: The
1: the great example of that in the U.S. and and out of Hollywood that's often used is Chinatown with Jack Nicholson, shot by Roman Polanski. I bring it up just because it might be a shared reference point for us, but to understand, if you see that movie, you will see there's, there's two basic movements of of a story. One is linear, going like this, and one is circular, going we start here and we loop around back. Two, it's This is why stories end up working and are complex, is because they have two shapes, not just one. One is this way, and one is this way. So, the, the story returns to the issue of the beginning. We can get to that in a minute. But with with the Rowan Polanski film as an example, Jack Nicholson comes out, slick as hell, right? He's got it all together. He's, but what he's done is he's distanced himself from his emotional past. We don't know that. Every character comes in with a past. But he's on the screen. He's like, hey, how you doing? Da, 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 da. And then what happens? The antagonistic force, the thing that he wishes to avoid, emotionalism, emotion, walks in. We can term this as in walks the dame in a noir film, right? In walks the dame. But it's not the dame. In walks the antagonistic force. His character wants to avoid emotion because of his past, and in walks the the potential for emotion. Boom. As we move along in that story, the main character played by Nicholson gets more and more disheveled basically. <laughs> like like the first thing that happens to him is his shirt gets torn or something. And then the next thing that happens is, you know, he gets beat up. Right? And all along, it's a brilliant depiction of this, it's, it's, and it's visual. This is the important thing. We don't tell people what's happening. We show them what's happening. We don't, we, we don't have total control over our readers to say, this is what you need to take out of it, because we're actually trying to commu- communicate with stories to people's emotions. We're trying to take them on this emotional journey that doesn't really have words. So, so, along the way, he's getting beat up, and then there's the great scene where Roman Polanski himself does a cameo, puts a knife in Jake Giddes' nostril, and pulls it. Now, this is about the middle of the movie, Jack Gittes, who started out in his white suit, looking so pristine, is wearing a huge bandage on his face to cover up the fact that he's had his nose cut. So now he's beat up, and 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 he's a real slick ladies man here. Now he's totally beat up. But now, of course, he's able to establish a relationship with the woman, the antagonistic force. And then, I, I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but anyway, the point is this transition. And the point I'm making is, we have these other characters, minor characters show up. We have to remember them, okay? if there's a major antagonistic force we want the major antagonistic force also to have an arc of character but the most important thing is that the protagonist is the one who's on the journey so for that we need to know who the protagonist is of course but they're the one that we're following and what i'm saying is and the reason this is coming out of the conversation about memory is that while we're remembering this person is the you know like hitchcock used to have the thin man or whatever you know this character we have to be able to recognize and remember but this character the protagonist has to transition so they start one way but they're not the same in any scene that they're in they are always changing and the moment that they are exactly the same in stories you cut that scene because it is not part of the story the story is about the characters transition into a very difficult place out of which they may or may not be able to transcend they have a choice and so the choice in which they do transcend is a comedy the choice in which they do not transcend Is a tragedy but it's always transformative for the reader I feel this is my feeling about the emotional experience because if it's a comedy I stay with the protagonist and I enjoy their success if it's a tragedy at the moment that they choose to take the tragic path but it has to I I feel it must be a choice we owe it to our character to give them a choice that's that's our responsibility as writers to give our character a choice but the moment they choose the the tragic path there is an elation of free choice that's an elation for one and and it tells us that we in a sense have control over our own destiny that we can choose we're not just compelled but also as they go and take that choice i abandon them right I abandon them psychologically and imagine myself taking another choice. So I've learned either way. I either learned by staying with the protagonist or I learned by abandoning the protagonist and saying, I would make a different choice. So paragraphs, space, and then I'm, then let me just say this while we're on topic. I said that the major movements are um, beginning, middle and end. So I just want to say this about the rhythm of story. We'll see that beginning, middle, and end is one, two, three. But the other rhythm in that, and people will say this, is that the beginning is about a quarter, of a quarter. The middle is two quarters. Half of the story will take place in the middle in terms of general. I'm just talking about the general rhythm. So... 50 pages, 50 and 50 is a hundred pages and 50 pages for the end. What that does rhythmically is it creates a, it creates a counterpointal rhythm. I I, meant one, two, three, but underneath that is one, two, three, four, right? Beginning middle and end and underneath one, two, three, four. So we have a three act, three act and four act are very similar really and we we want to actually have the rhythm where we have both of those um but i just want to say this briefly <clears throat> if we think of the divisions between beginning middle and end what that means and i tried to puzzle i had you know a mentor and you know i've heard it many times the story has a beginning middle and end and i and i honestly wanted to shoot someone because i didn't have any idea what that meant what does it mean a beginning middle and of course it does you uh, You know so but what I've reasoned that it means and I will tell you (laughs) after great pain for myself is that the beginning does what the beginning must do the middle does what the middle must do and the ending does what the ending must do and so That also means, if you do not have the beginning, do what the beginning must do, it's not the beginning. If you do not have the middle, do what the middle must do, it is not the middle. And if you do not have the ending, do what the ending must do, it is not the ending. What they must do is, the beginning must get the reader committed to the story. They must know they must want to know what's going to happen and care about it. To the point that they are willing to read the rest of the book. They will put it down at any point that you don't fulfill your bargain, but that's what the beginning must do. The middle has to emotionally prepare you, has to emotionally prepare the reader for the ending. And that's, that's our mandate. That's our mandate. So like, if you were like to, if you were looking at it, uh, I've boxed for a number of years. If it it were a boxing match, like, (laughs) you know, all the hype, (laughs) the hype of boxing, right? The hype of boxing, that's the beginning. (laughs) You know, where they're trying to get you to care about these two characters who are going to be pummeling the crap out of each other and causing brain damage. Okay. So they're trying to make you, you know, this person is good. This person's evil. This, you know, whatever. So anyway, so that's the beginning to make you care, right? Or the two football teams on the, on the, on the pitch or uh, the cricket teams. I have played cricket. Actually, it's my greatest Sports success story was playing cricket. I'll tell it sometime. Okay, so the beginning has to do with the beginning does. Then the middle is when the bell rings, right? Ding! I'm committed. I'm going to, I'm there. We're committed. The characters are committed. They come out. Right? Everyone's committed. We're going to go, we're going to go through everything, ding, 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 until what? The knockout. The knockout so all those rounds from the bell ringing to the moment the moment the exquisite moment prior to the knockout is the middle it's like we can think about it as if we want we're tenderizing the audience to get them ready to be put down on their back i sometimes i think i've done the aikido thing it's like the middle is like that part where the this is the emotional roller coaster Emotional roller coaster. The Aikido master knows it. We know it, and then we flip them over on their back. In the end, it's the resolution, the resolution to all that came before. That, in stories, as I say, because of our, so that's one pattern. But as I say before, also reverts us back to the beginning, has us recognize, in a sense, what we've always been dealing with and surprising us by that. Okay, big speech, but.
0: but So how, uh, how many samples do you have uh, uh, for review this time, Otis?
1: Four. Four, okay, excellent. And, and we're going to do it right now. Um, yeah, and uh, let's see, I gotta exit this. So Let me go here. Wait, sorry, I'm I might have done something that I don't need to do. I'm gonna stop that. Okay. Um okay. Uh D T we're we're gonna look at your work to start with. Um, and do you see that, Did that come up as shared? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and we, can I have you just read the ending of this piece? So just from the, uh, Bridgeville still manages to keep out chain stores. Sure.
2: Bridgeville
3: still manages to keep out chain stores in favor of local establishments like this family run grocery. The hum of the air conditioning, the smell of apples and roasted meats from the deli, the intermittent beeping of the cash register. It all sucker punches me in the gut. It is the smell of so many shopping trips with Baba. We would spend hours here wandering each aisle, picking new things to try everyone knew us by name. Now I feel the stares of people pressing into my back. They have not seen me in years, but probably recognize me. The same long curly black hair and wide dark eyes, always too unblinkingly intense, my lips stubborn, firm, and unsmiling. I am a subdued version of my mother, a little too visible in this town with so few Indians. They're probably wondering whether I have rel- relapsed into the sickness of silence once more.
1: Okay, great. Um, what, was the, what, was, what was your intention with this piece? If you could talk about it just a moment. Sure, so this is
3: the, the opening scenes of a, of a novel I'm working on. So I wanted to create a little bit of mystery in the, in the mind of the reader without being confusing. I also wanted to establish uh, the sense of, of of Lila, and she's kind of haunted by her past because that's a big part of the story. Uh, and also, the beginning part was this dynamic between her and uh, and Sanjay, who is the other lead, and they're kind of antagonists, but they're also uh, is, a, is, a, is a love story that develops between them later. So I wanted cool. to set <laughs> I want to set some of that some of that up.
1: Um, well, uh, uh great. Well, th- that helps me. I, uh, you can always give me that as a note so it can help me read a little bit because, um, as, you know, when, as I'm reading it, I'm saying, okay, it's beginning here and then it's ending here. And then, you know, some of my comment was, is this going, it does this feel like an ending given where, you know, like, so I just go back to my basic stuff. You know, I say the same thing over and over again. It's like, we start with a, then so the the protagonistic character comes in. They're experiencing some force of antagonism. So then I'm going to say, what is that force of antagonism? That becomes the event of the story. That's the middle, right? And then what is the resolution to that? And, um, and that's what I was going to sort of draw our attention to. Um, but as a as the beginning of a novel, so that's. So it's very different. And it's funny because, right, I'm just looking at whatever this is, you know, 750 words, 800 words. And so I see a complete thing in my hands. However, if I get a novel and I open it up or I order it on eBooks, you know, I I open it up. I know that I'm dealing with an arc that's going to go much longer. So now, because the story structure is an accordion structure. We do, I think that we, I think we benefit in, in our longer works with understanding that then each, in a way, so like the story is an accordion structure where we come in one side and we come out the other changed to some degree. We should take that accordion structure to every section of our story. And every section of our work, basically, we can take the accordion structure to a sentence, we come into the sentence, we go out the sentence, right We can the paragraph is the unit of composition. I absolutely mean it in terms of the paragraph that we enter the paragraph one in one way, and we leave it another and it doesn't matter whether we 're dealing with narrative or we're dealing with um, thesis driven argument. <clears throat> And then the same is true for each of our sections and the same is true for our chapters and the same is true for our um our beginning which would be the first major section the same is true for <clears throat> as i see it excuse me it tells you i'm talking too much as i see it the, the middle is <clears throat> these two sections so each of those sections you come in you go out and then the final one you also go in and you go out so I offer that to say that this probably can be tightened up to make sure that the reader does have an experience of entering this section in one way and leaving in one way. Um, The simple way that I usually express that is that we have a protagonist who enters the story in in a certain state, basically an emotional state, a state of an emotional state. And I'm gonna get real I, I know this is gonna sound so mercenary to you all but I can characterize those states for me I can characterize those states as easy, either being positive or negative it's either gonna be a positive emotion or a negative emotion they then have an interaction with the antagonistic forces that should change them each step of the way these are the steps you know in our story and so if they entered in with a positive emotion pretty much they exit with a negative emotion and vice versa that's that's so now when we're consciously thinking about that now we also see that we're creating we're beginning immediately to create the emotional roller coaster which is a net and and for those of you who say i don't need an emotional roller coaster i think i've already said that emotional fluctuation is the thing that makes us feel as if we are experiencing life, because that's true of life. We 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 fluctuate. So so I think in this piece that's something to think about a little bit. Um, as uh, Sanjay, I would love if Sanjay was the first word here, you know, because <clears throat> this is a little thing too. We are trying back to the principle of we want the movie to be going on in the reader's brain. We need to give them information that they can see in some way. When I when I first read it, uh, I was just I mean I thought this immediately when I just read he right because I he I can't I you're not giving me a foothold. You want to give me a foothold in something, and so we want to do that as quickly as possible. Sanjay would do that. Um, But I also thought that, you know, uh, you know, a physical description there, you know, um, anything to help us have a visual understanding of what's going on and to actually place us in the world, because that is the world. It's a world of imagination that we have to get the reader into wherever it is, the location, the visuals, all of that, that represents the world. And we need to grab this person as quickly as possible and put them in there um and then um otherwise for me i was mainly and you probably saw these comments already i'm i'm actually just making comments for the sake of economy you know pretty much to have things move quickly i have the i think you are you know you're in a way you're establishing uh the two forces of protagonism, I think, pretty well. And I, and I feel that this story is a, is, a, is a high level story. So I really appreciate um, the level that we can now talk about it. Um, but I feel the force of antagonism of the past. You have that. And I understand that Sanjay is an antagonist, but he doesn't show up on the page, really. So I don't, you know, they don't speak to each other, kind of. Um, and he never if he if he has dialogue if he says even one thing maybe he says one thing in this uh i can't remember but if he says one that's thing hello. If he shows, what's that
3: he he just says hello so i, I wanted them yeah. to be silenced to show that the tension between them but yeah that, that's all he says
1: right well but so what? so this is a this is a really interesting issue so I would basically say that what we want what we want to do is we want characters to show their character rather than to have the the writer tell about the character. Here they don't do anything. So the the action isn't their silence. The silence obviously is there, but, but there isn't anything else. Does that make sense? They don't have yeah. so I mean not speaking is one thing but also when we're not speaking we're also doing all sorts of other things i mean even if it's just sitting in this chair you know like if if you came to my house and i sat in the chair silently and you put that on the page Uh the reader would see that and they would feel it was meaningful we want to have those yeah so we want to show these characters more so through their action you do spend you know the time going back into the past? Um, I mean, this is a high-level work, so you might want to think about it. There's a there's sort of a repetitive pattern of doing that in this piece that I that I noticed. So you'll work on you know you'll work on that so that we we understand that that's part of the part of the flux, but it's it's being dealt with a little bit too um, regularly maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a reasonable comment or not, but I did, I did notice that it was there. I noticed it was there, and I also noticed the of, absence of any physical actions by the two principal characters that were on the page. So then my, my question was, if the character came in, was affected by the event of meeting their antagonist and came out with a change of state, what was the action? That was my my big question, like what action has occurred here? I'm not discerning it. So because I can't discern that, I also can't discern the outcome of it. I think you're intending right here to really just present the character in a lot of ways and get, you know, get to get a little momentum on the story and sort of present this character and arrive at that moment of this idea of the silence and I think that that's good too. I think that you can also add what I'm talking about and then they will both work together.
3: Right, so this, this is about half a scene. I think the next half of the scene has more of the dynamic part of it. But if I hear you in making the beginning part more dynamic
1: too. There, we, we definitely don't, we don't suffer. <laughs> we don't suffer if we have a dynamic everywhere. We basically <laughs> want dynamicism everywhere um there's really no time not to have it we and we and and we also not only do we want to have it we don't want to just have you know whatever gratuitous you know whatever gratuitous action but we want it always to be leading someplace on the emotional journey so those are really two crucial elements we have the dynamic action and it leads really Mm. crucial really crucial I've read many stories. I, just as an example, it's not really pertinent here, but just as a warning—a warning—I've read so many stories, particularly in, in memoir or nonfiction, where people want to write just like horrible things happening, but there's no sense that it's moving. It's actually just a prison of horrible actions, and the problem with that is not. I'm speaking more largely D T and not not about your work at all. But but I just wanna set out as a warning sign that I actually think that that's that's very problematic because it's not good for us as writers, you know, to wallow in difficulty, but wallow in difficulty that is also feels like a prison, the feeling of prison being that it does not move. There's no expectation for anything different. The reader can read about many, many difficult things, very, very difficult things, if we feel that there's a process. But if we don't feel that there's a process, if we're just in a world of terrible things, I don't, the reader doesn't, we, we, we don't wanna be part of that world because that's not what we want. We don't wanna be imprisoned in difficulty. We want to be on a journey towards whatever transcendence redemption etc that's what we want so anyway not not pertinent here Um, I just wanted to bring up this little uh, this little section so this is a pattern that I think is very useful for us when we write and when we draft we often so when do we well okay let me continue when we write we write it. We write some action, and then we play catch up to explain it. Okay, it's not 100% the case here, but I've just noticed this pattern in many writers and in myself. It's the sort of uh, we, yeah, we just we write some kind of action, and then we explain it afterwards. The pattern. This is a little micro comment. The pattern we would like to have is explain first, have the action. When we do that, when we, when we, so I call that set up, then deliver, okay? Not deliver, then set up, okay? So not deliver, then set up, but instead set up, then deliver. So here, there really, there aren't very many actions in here. So I'm, I'm thirsting for some action. Um, But anyway, she speaks, right? She says, "You know, do you mind if we stop at the grocery store first? So, but what we want is we want to have the reader have this feeling of basically like, I'm a genius. I get it. Right? So when we say, um, <clears throat> I'm not even sure if I would say I want to stock up the fridge for Baba. Um, um, Baba will take the bus to go shopping. Uh, his diet has no variety, buttered toast for breakfast. Cheese sandwich using the same pack package of bread for lunch, frozen vegetables with rice for dinner, and two tea bags of Lipton iced tea in between. Put that above, and then say, um, Sanjay, do you mind if we stop at the grocery store? This is an important little detail in our writing. When we think about it from the reader's perspective, they get this information. They don't know why they're getting it. And then you have the action and the reader goes, you know, they're engaged by that. They understand that there's a connection between this thought about Baba and his diet and stopping at the grocery store. This one pattern we will use all the time. We will write it backwards all the time okay so we will all, <laughs> we will always be writing it backwards and we will always want to be reversing it this is what i'm trying to say it's like because that's of this okay right, yeah, yeah go ahead, I, right.
3: never, I had never thought of that before but that that's so that's this, so important
1: it's, yeah it, it's a, it, I, I mean this is what I, I i want to help you. this is like years of like dealing with this Again, with so many workshop pieces and my own work. I mean, I recognize, of course, I do it too. Because when we're in an imaginative process, we do play catch up. But when we come back and revise, this is just a simple way to just try as best we can to see the pattern that we've done and to reverse it. And that's really what I want to embed for everybody. And then basically to make the, the pitch to you all that the outcome of it is really great. Because when we have the reader going, I get it, they are engaged. It's absolutely different from telling the reader things and explaining them to them, which is the death of our work. When we tell the reader stuff, the reason, we don't, the, the reason that we say show, don't tell, but this is a little strategic way to do it, the reason we do that is because when we're telling the reader stuff, they don't have to think and be engaged at all. And when they're not engaged they're basically they're well they're gone they're not there it's that that engagement is being there um uh this was a place you'll see i just so here was a little place where i would say you want to have that space right you want to have this space here because we go from being in the car to this um grocery store here and so and then this is a place then where i would say so you see i've also written established point of view you know after the gap you know mm-hmm. so once you have that space so rather than so here when we say bridgeville still manages to keep out chain stores that is in character point of view that's the narrator point of view If that is the point of view we want, then we would do it that way. Mm-hmm. In, in, a narrative, in a narrative like this, I probably wouldn't, because really the vehicle for our experience is the character. Right. So, um, and then, <clears throat> oh, and this is in, in this paragraph, then, too, this is a place to talk about the, the coming in and going out, a paragraph so however you end up starting right we start here you know walking into the store seeing this that and the other thing so that's for the protagonist the whole world is an antagonistic force and this store definitely is for this protagonist because it's evocative of her past right and also um the people there connect her to her past in a way that she seems like she might prefer to avoid so if we have the hum of the air conditioning, I love this, all the you know, concrete detail, the smell of the apples, roasted meats from the deli, the intermittent beeping of the cash register. Um, it is the smell of so many shopping trips with BABA. We would spend hours here wandering each aisle, picking new things to try. Everyone knew us by name. All at once, it sucker punches me in the gut. Mm-hmm. Right? So we come in this way, and then we exit. We we want that emotional experience that you're expressing with the sucker punch to be essentially the opposite of how we came in. Now we actually and so what's what's brilliant about that for all of us to take away, right, is that the character comes in. And do you mind if we stop? She just wants to stop in order to, you know, help you know Baba you know diversify his diet, right? So we stop, and then she walks in, and she's confronted by the antagonistic force, which is this space, which is also a physical space, but also representative of her memory, because it triggers her memory and her consciousness of herself, however we want to put it, but we want to put it on the page. She comes in, peacefully, uh, I came, you know, I, I came in, uh, picked my, my, my my wallet out of my bag something to indicate to show us that she's fine right but then we have the store itself the antagonist and then we have sucker punch me in the gut really important to realize that that is we when we write stories we're writing something we're writing an action in time we are not writing a static truth right so that goes back to We're not writing a prison. We're writing an action that takes place in time. And actually, the action that takes place in time mirrors the reader's time, right? So now those two things are working together, right? Um, This is why this paragraph is a great example of it. We want to use our paragraph structure to do the same thing that the section does, that the story does all of these things have to do. We have to constantly show these transitions. Um, the moment we don't, then it seems as if we're getting information that is not part of the journey, which is the story. But uh, a great example, it's all right here. Perfect, in fact. It's just that when we're imagining it, we don't always, well, we don't do it in order like that, you know? So um, until we get, but we can save time eventually by understanding that we, are We want to do this and then we then we purposely go in and we think of this protagonist meet the force of antagonist outcome and then, then from that place we go into the next scene they're here antagonist outcome and that's really the way we we do the whole story um human beings never tire from reading about experiences that affect character i better move on I'm going to get in big trouble. Aditi, do you have Thank any you.
3: questions on this? No that that was extremely helpful. I appreciate it. Um, part of the thing with the, the quiet is like she was actually mute for a number of years. So that that comes back to it. But uh, but
1: yeah, great.
3: very helpful. Thank you. I
1: I uh, yeah I, I I get that. I think it's a great I think it's a great setup. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go, let's see, Uh, let's look at uh, Rom's piece. Um, It's a, so, oh, Aditi, I want to say, too, that, um, I mean, I want to emphasize again that this is a very high level of conversation to be having about the story. And so I, you know, I, and, and I actually feel with all of these stories and this poem too, it brings us up to the stuff that we really need to be talking about that's really hard. You know, like um, as, we, as we've said before, you know, we can all type something. We're all, we're all good typists. I've proven that I can type. I can type hundreds of pages of uselessness no, no, it's not. It was useful. I got, I got to be a better typer. But we can type, but then we get to something where we're starting to type something that starts to look and feel like a story. It's starting to put those elements on the page. And then we have something concrete that we come back and we start to work with. And we do, I'm, you'll, you will find, maybe this is even a problem for me, but we give it a lot of attention. We give it a lot of attention. Maybe some, and and our our struggle as writers usually is to be able to do one to bring the bring the mud up from the from the depth. That's the first part. The second part is for us then to avoid dealing with the minutia and deal with the macro issues of story. And then to get into the middle section where we're dealing with characterization and things of that nature. And then the final section is dealing really with you know the acute language issues, and uh, to and then with the purpose, with the purpose for us all of actually rising to someplace new, right? And not, not just for our readership, yes, for our readership, we need to offer our readership something new, a new world, a new experience, but we also want that for ourselves, I believe. Um, okay uh, uh Ram, i i you know what i did not you know what I did not do uh-huh. you know how I read this you know how I read this i I read it down one side and then I read it down the other side, and I realize right now, looking at it that you might you might have intended to go like this
4: no, no, are you read it the right way okay
1: okay um Let's, um, um, let, let's have you read this part here to the end. Okay. Um, sure. The fisherman's side of the story. Yeah.
4: I let you cry, my dear, for I choose your salt season my catch then hiss on the empty sands. At night when the winds howl, dear, know it to be my call to you, for who else dare? at the edge of your mundani i break your embrace chelamine to wrestle fate mine yours the words and return triumphant with the trophy holding aloft
1: the largest columning okay all right uh, thank you so what what were you uh, what were you intending a little bit with this poem?
4: Uh, So this is a little interesting. So I was part of a writer's group and somebody had uh, translated an ancient Tamil poem, which was uh, about a fisherman. Uh, So that triggered this. And uh, so I was trying to just look at it from the point of view of uh, the fisherman's wife. Uh, She is lonely. He has gone off to the sea. She is not sure whether he'll come back or not. And that's the only thing she's thinking about. And then what would his reply be? So that's basically what triggered this, and uh, that's what I tried to capture.
1: Okay. Um, so in in uh, you know I I feel that we have the antagonistic forces here. Obviously, we have two points of view that are being represented on the page. Right. The probably so I was I was really fortunate. I, I was able to study with a poet who I still admire, and he's since died. Art Smith. You know, he's just really uh, wonderful. So uh, poetry is, is deep in my heart. I don't, I don't, now at this point, I don't really practice writing poetry very much anymore. So we'll, we'll just take all my comments with a grand salt. salt.
0: Sure.
1: The, a starting point for me with poetry would be language. Um, mm-hmm. So just like we're all, we're dealing with something that is Extremely economical and compressed when we're dealing with a poem. Right. We still have a story to tell because we still have to take the reader through an emotional experience right. from one place basically to another where they feel as if they have gotten something of value for themselves. Right. This is this is the issue with all of us in all of our writing. If if we do not take the reader, we either we either don't get the re- the reader at all, or we lose them along the way. Or we somehow get them to read the whole thing, but they do not feel fulfilled from the experience. Which means that no matter how this is really crucial for us to remember, right? Even though the even though the reader is leaving their own life to enter our our world, their time and experience is is incredibly important to them. Mm -hmm. Okay? Time is the most valuable thing, I think, that we have. Time to experience. So we do not want them to feel even if the, even if it only took them 30 seconds to read it, if it took them an hour, if it took them 5 days, we do not want them to get to the end and feel as if their time was not well spent. Absolutely. Um, so, for that, for that I go back to the basics. We need to get them into the world. To mm-hmm. get them into the world, we need conc- what what I often say in poetry is concrete language. When okay. I've gone and taught poetry places, I had a um i i went with a poet i was really a fiction writer at that point um i went with a poet and he said concrete language is something you can pour gravy over you know we were teaching kids i always right. remembered that and i learned a lot from it concrete mm-hmm. so we can't we can't um, We can't really you know we can't pour gravy over love you know he went through the whole thing or justice or any of those Mm -hmm. things but we can grow we can pour gravy over a toaster we can pour gravy over our mother we can pour gravy over you know all of these things getting those concrete elements onto the page are very helpful then like we had with uh aditi she started with he okay well he is a man and we can you know pour gravy on him but Mm -hmm. it's not it's <clears throat> not evocative. Mm-hmm. I don't actually see anything. I can't imagine okay. pouring any. It doesn't have that concrete reality. Okay. So we, we since this is our, our motive is to bring the reader into this world in which they are experiencing and having something go on for them and basically we understand that we have to base that on the concrete,
4: mm-hmm. we're going
1: to have a problem immediately when And unfortunately, when we go to you know the fisherman, and the fisherman's wife, Mm -hmm. because that already seems like a, uh, it seems like a trope, right? So I don't think I'm dealing with human beings. I feel like I'm dealing with tropes.
4: Okay.
1: I read, I I read all the myths to my kids, and we're you know we love the Baba Yaga myths. (laughs) Baba Yagas, mean. Yeah, um, right. And, uh, I'm sure. In the, in the Hindu tradition, you must have like you know this you know just mean you know the Baba Yaga, but you know those stories always start with something you know there there was a poor farmer you know who you know of Grimm's fairy tales and all of that. Yeah. So it can feel like a trope. So I don't feel like I don't mm. I don't I don't feel at the beginning that I'm going to get real people. Okay. And then. And and the issue there then is like it's from it's from this sense of reality that I feel that I learn I understand my life as being a real life mm-hmm. it may or may not be true but I will uh, associate and identify with characters and their journey who mm-hmm. I also think are real in the same way in the same way that I am real okay um so that that would be something that I would say. That that's okay. worth thinking about, you know, and and in prose writing we would say you want to have those concrete details, those mm. details, and I would okay. say the same thing in and in fact I I feel that in poetry that works it's even more so, but that's not to say there are the metaphysical poets mm. who are not really dealing with physical reality but are dealing with. Um, uh, what they might consider, you know, metaphysical realities, spiritual realities, John Donne is an example, uh, many others, William Carlos Williams, at very much at times, I think, is a metaphysical poet, uh, who's worth looking at, and who I really admire. Um, so you have to think about what it is that you want to do. Okay, if you're going to be a metaphysical poet,
4: mm-hmm.
1: then you have to do something that's absolutely surprising in the metaphysical realm. Okay. Right? So, the, to me the the concrete realm is easier to deal with because I don't have to be as smart. You know. Okay. I, 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 well, I have to be smart I have to be smart in my observation of things. Right. But I don't have to be smart in my metaphysical, you know, probing into the universe. And actually for me, looking at concrete things helps me have that those larger metaphysical
4: for mm. me. Okay.
1: Uh, so like, one thing, so here, when I'm reading this story, so we have, we have the fisherman's wife, and she basically is lonely, like you yeah. say. But I think to myself, if I were the fisherman's wife, I'd probably be pretty happy to get that guy out of the house, too.
4: <laughs>
1: Fair point. I, so I, I think mm-hmm. it's a little more complex. You okay. know, she's like, where are you? You know, where are you? I'm jealous of the sea, and, you know, where are your kisses? Like, hey, where's the part that she says, I'm tired of these kisses. I got things to do, too you know so, so i right. don't think we've gone to a gone to a full character and then, Fair point. And then this, okay and then so like like she says you know the absence of your uh, of your passionate lips is like thank god they're absent sometimes my like, god <laughs> let, me, let me clean the house sure um, and then and then it could feel to me like she becomes a, a bit of a stereotype i mean okay. she's 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 just a woman who's involved in sensuousness, right? I mean, she yeah, just wants yeah. sensual experience, and then he becomes a person who's 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 essentially ambitious and right. um, looking for you know an an abstract future that's meant to give him a sense of security. So he's a mm. insecure male, you know. So mm-hmm. we have the two you're like these these uh, these stereotypes we know. Right. So then, where does it go? You know, because I get back to if I get that, and you know, I right. I get to the end. I'm like, what have I gained? Right. And if I have not gained, then I have lost. So, hmm. but what's okay. what's what is great is you have the two the two forces on the page, hmm. and now it brings us to the important conversation of. Actually, elevating our work so that we're not mm. dealing with tropes, we're not dealing with stereotypes, that we're actually seeing that we're forced to represent real human beings on the page. None of us mm. should, none of us should um, uh, take this lightly. Okay, right. this, this is this has always been my big thing. I mean, mm-hmm. if something has been driving me to. Uh, if something has been driving my success to whatever degree i have some success it's been this one thing that when we put characters on the page they have to be human beings right we do not use we do not use human beings to serve our purpose we witness human beings and we have them be them on the page i don't know if that makes sense I'll give you an example. Absolute sense. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, I'll say the example. We. I think we better move on, so I don't. Um, sure. But so so that's the next level to bring this. Um, mm. I I suggested at the bottom of this. You know, there's there's so many people who are going to read poetry have also read poetry, so they're of used course. to a certain level of experience. But you know, a, a poem that really knocked my socks off was Elizabeth Bishop's Armadillo.
4: Okay. I look at it. Up.
1: And to, and to look at that, and to understand that what she's doing is she's creating this profound imagery
4: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. to understand how she transports the reader's experience basically at the end of that poem into the point of view of an armadillo. It's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant poem, I think. Um, okay. and, and I offer that up to say both these two things, concrete detail, so what we finally have is imagery Right mm. imagery, what that means is imagery for the reader. We use words so that the reader has an image, very Rich. important to all of our work. Um, and, then, and then we really pay attention to the fact that we need to go from A and then transition them, not back to A. So I already know that, let's say I know the trope of the fisherman, you know the, 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 the woman who's cast as centralist and the man who's cast as you know, abstract realist. And then I mm. know that already if I end up with that still at the end, I haven't gone anywhere. Right. So I have to go from, I have to make a trip.
4: Right. I see that.
1: Um, but I love you grappling with it. I've lost many happy months. <laughs> you know, I love, you know, if you, if you love to write poems and all of us, I mean, this is, that's that, it, it, it's like just indulging that micro level of, attention right. to our language, and, and, uh, and I find that such a happy space to be in. Right. I also find that poems are a little bit shorter to write. I, <laughs> I know it's not supposed to be that way, but honestly, I find, I, find I can finish a poem a little quicker than finish a of
4: course. After, after this episode. conversation, I will have to revisit all the 200 I have written. <laughs> 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 I,
1: I, I will also have to revisit that 600-page novel I have written. <laughs> sure. I think the thing with the thing with me has always been it might be with you too is I'd always rather just write the new thing. I'd always rather just pull the mud up from the from the subterranean realm right. right. and go back and deal with that mud. <laughs> sure, yeah. I have so much Fair I have
4: point. so much of it. The problem um, is I keep digging up new things.
1: Yeah, exactly. I really, I, keep, I keep wanting to go here. I don't want to go Absolutely. back. I've already dug that up. Yeah. Okay.
4: Thanks um, a lot. This was very thank useful. You. Thank you very much. Of
1: course. Um. Let's see. Uh, let's look at this piece. Is uh, is uh, Shalini here?
0: Shalini. Okay. Let's see if she is here. Oh, uh, yes, she's she there. Am I audible? So, uh, Otis, I think this is probably the last one we'd have time for today.
1: That's fine because Ashvani is going to send me his piece back. Okay. So, Perfect. right, Ashvani? Right? Yeah. 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 He's going to send it back to me. It's a little bit long and I'm asking for some format change. Okay. Uh, Shalini, um, yeah can you uh i wanna read okay um let's just have it. So let, let me just set it up a little bit. I'm just going to have you read this section. Um, we'll just have it be short. We'll just go to no wonder. But let me just set it up. So I think um, we have this character. He's like a, maybe a government. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. But he seems like he's a, maybe a bureaucrat or something like that, or he was, and he's retired. And he has a property in one place, and he has a property also in this slum area. And uh, he's walking by uh, he's walking there to check on his property after a cyclone and he basically overhears a conversation so yes. um, and this is a, this is a little bit of the conversation he overhears
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, He has a house uh, nearby the slum. he doesn't have another property uh, somewhere oh, okay. uh, yeah. Sorry. So that's the way it is. And uh, the, the cyclone has just passed by and uh, these uh, below poverty line people in India get a lot of uh, disaster relief. So that is what has been discussed over here. Whereas the middle class in India is not looked after in terms of giving relief by the government because the vote bank lies with these people who reside in the slums. So that's that's the tone.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could just read this uh, section.
2: I should. Okay. He revealed that...
1: that ...he and the others in the slum had gotten generous contributions from the government.
2: You want me to read that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He revealed that he and the others in the slum had got generous contributions from the government, and also from many charity and non-governmental organizations. The list included candles, a dozen of matchbox, two kg of pulses, a packet of salt, a kg of sugar, a kg of milk powder, a sari, a dhoti, and 10 packets of glucose biscuits, along with a generous portion of 50 kg rice. The polythene for roofing purpose was not given, instead rupees 500 in cash and the relief amount of rupees 2000 was what he and his family got as cyclone relief. Should I continue? Yeah, just said he, he happily said He happily said, Look, friend, the cyclone has made me rich. Listening to the list of gatherings, no wonder, murmured Samir Babu sarcastically.
1: Okay. okay. Um, um so this story um for me, so there's a there's a there's a fundamental issue of story. So this this story sounds like Basically, it takes a kind of negative view of these people who live in the slum. You know, there's been a cyclone, and they've sort of gathered some money. And this guy, you know, this guy who lives in the slum has gathered the money. He says, it's made me rich. I can now buy um, foreign liquor. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, com- I'm completely in sympathy, actually, with that person, personally. I'm like, I live in a slum. A cyclone is hit. And by God, I want to have some foreign liquor. Yeah. You bring up some Richie Riches, you know, I've, so what What this can feel like to me is it feels like there's a judgment against the kind of a politicized judgment, in fact, and against these people who live in the slum, and then it arrives at the end as confirming that judgment about them. I don't, I don't, for me, this is problematic, actually, because this is going back to this idea of when we put characters on the page, we have to understand human beings on the page, not, not our stereotypes and our view of them. We use the story in order to do that. The other thing that's fundamental of the story for me is that it's the protagonist. Okay, so I'm going to take the protagonist. The protagonist doesn't go along and then judge other people and then come along and say, well, you know what? I'm so superior to them. I'm a, I'm a real human being, and I show that to myself by being able to judge these others. This is not what we do in our story. We have a protagonist who goes through a story and is challenged. You know, when they go down here, I keep bringing this up. You know what happens in that place? What happens in that place is that they see themselves. I sometimes term this as the light, right? We all we all love to shine the light on others. Right? There's a, what is it the I think it's the the old is it the Old Testament? You know where there's like we 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 we're so quick to remove the speck from our brother's eye and and not see the 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 plank in our own. I think that that speaks to the human condition actually quite well. Um, so we always love to shine a light on others. And our protagonist, yes, our protagonist actually begins our story like that. But what happens in the course of the story, and what happens in this place, I can't even show you because my, right? They've gone here, is that light shines on them. That's what happens in the story. We as writers, we as writers, we're here, okay? We use characters. They can be characters based on us, or they can be characters, whatever. But we use characters. But like I say, we don't, okay. We're writers. Let me say we show characters. We don't use them. We don't use characters to advance our belief system. As writers, we try to witness the world. We don't try to prescribe it. We, as writers, We actually don't judge the protagonist. Yes, they're problematic. Our protagonist is going to, our protagonist is tested by the story. The antagonistic force is the teacher of the protagonist. Because it's through the interaction of the protagonist and the antagonistic force, boom, that they arrive at a state of transcendence, enlightenment, something or actually today they arrive at the chance, the chance to engage in a, an act of free will. And so in this story, we have the elements that we need. We actually have the basis of a great story. But now we have to dig deep and figure out what it is. And we have to have the action of story take place we have a character retired Uh, obviously um, he has his attitudes about people around him that he looks at them and sees them in a certain way and he is going to be confronted by these people and then the question is how does he change because of that this is always the question in all of our stories if there is no i i think i said this before if a tree falls in a forest and it does not affect character, it does not matter. That is my, my, my saying for that. So this is what happens. The char- if the character has an experience and they do not change, nothing has happened. And we'll go back, to, as we were saying, to Rom absolute compact of story is that I enter the story one way, I spend my time, and my time is well spent because I am changed by the experience. I'm changed by the experience because I have the experience through the vehicle of the protagonist. Coming up to this place where as writers, where we are, um, where we're writers, and we're not, we're not engaged in in making a, a play of our of our own bias and feelings, but we're up here. This is where we want to. This is where we want to arrive, um, and then we start doing some really some really great work. You have the basis here, but you have to figure out, I mean, this is, I know it's difficult. We don't, we ourselves, just like all our characters, okay, the truth of all characters is that we do not want to change. I know this. This is, this is my, in my, in my church of story that I live in, nobody wants to change. That's the truth of this character walking into the, the protagonist walking in does not want to change. We, as the writer, we give the protagonist a hard time we force them to confront something that is going to force them to evaluate their lives in a way that they never have before and therefore it is a monumental shift a transform it's a transformative experience in which their life is never the same again and by extension the reader's life is never the same again because they've experienced it along with the character the big kahuna for us you know it's like this is what we're after and we're after we're after it on two counts and but i think the most on two counts we're after it because we want to write something that's successful so that's our driven our ambition like the like the fish i love the symbol of the fish is this ambitious you know want so that's fine that drives us but the the, the great victor in this is us and and the thing is, and I do really believe this because I'm a weird person. For us, writing is the is our antagonist, right? Sometimes people confuse me as being the antagonist. I am not the antagonist. I am just I'm just the messenger. <laughs> uh, but believe me, Ashwani knows what I'm saying. Um, Anyway, so I think you have the, the rudiments here. The the characters that come onto the page for me are these are these wonderful characters. I do not blame them at all. They have a cy- they live in a slum, a cyclone has wiped them out, and by God, I would be I would certainly want to be I, I hope that that foreign liquor, I don't know what it is, but I imagine that it's scotch. By God, I would want that. Um, just like everyone, I think. Um, so 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 take these elements that you have and see where it goes. Reduce them down, okay? Reduce them down. This environment that you have, the, the 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 cyclone is great. The the character who overhears is a little bit of a trope, okay? Because that's not we would we would like to have a more dramatic interaction between the character and the um and and the antagonistic force. Um, I you know. Who knows what happens? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe your, your protagonist goes, you would need to have something, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the the person punches him in the face, (laughs) you know, it's like, because this is what, this is what the, the antagonist does. The antagonist tells the protagonist that they are not the only person in the world who exists. That's what the antagonist does. And that other people think different things, and they are just like you. Um, so I, I look forward to it. I love this environment. I love that the cyclone is hit. I want to be, you know, in the in this slum. And I love—I actually love those characters who who feel like they're rich. Of course, they're not rich at all. They have nothing, and they're going to—they're going to drink it. They're going to drink it away, which might be bad enough, but they're not even going to buy the cheap stuff. That is so human to me. Now the, now the key is to make the protagonist just as human by having him be affected by this interaction with these other human beings. Um, okay, I better go. Uh, Avatar is going to Okay, um, do, you, do you have any questions?
2: No, no, I'm clear about it,
1: thank you so much. Yeah, you're clear, I'm <laughs> Yeah, I, I, sorry about that. I get, I get very impassioned about these things, but I think that these are the things that are the most important for us and actually the greatest things that we get from our work. I, you know, um, rising to this place of being a writer and not... There's a difference between being a writer and being a character within a fight who's writing, <laughs> right? Like you're, you know, I've got to make the world this way and I'm going to write something to make it that way. That's different than being a writer. The writer is trying to witness the world and, and trying to create a sense of truth out of it. And the truth that we create is this change, which is also adaptation, I think. I liken it to adaptation, but it's but that, that the story in time is the truth that we tell. Whew. Well, good night, everybody.
0: Thank you. Thank you Otis, uh, so much. And thank you, everyone, for sending in your samples. And uh, we will see and talk to you next week at the same time again. Okay. Bye, all Thank you. Bye.